Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome, welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with yet another high demand coach, and that is Victoria Peltier. She's a 20 plus year corporate executive and board director. She's currently managing a director, I'm sorry, she's currently a managing director at Accenture. She's nicknamed the turnaround queen. I hope we can dive into that by former colleagues and employers. And Victoria inspires and empowers her team and clients to change mindsets, to drive growth in business and leadership and culture. Victoria, I'm so glad you're here today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to dive into this, but before we kind of get into the meat of the conversation here, I'd love to just hear a little bit about how you got into doing what you're doing. Maybe just kind of add some color to what what are all those 20 plus years? Where have they led you to now? It um, makes me feel incredibly old, Scott, when I, you know, sort of look back and recount where I've come from to where I am now. And a lot of advice I'll give people is to follow their their passion. In fact, I've told my both of my children that, and in, in my case, that's exactly what I did. I had plans on being a lawyer, a corporate lawyer. And while I was in university, I worked in a bank in their contact center. After six months, I got promoted into a leadership role. And when I was thinking about going to law school, they offered me a relocation across the country and a you know senior management role. And I thought, heck, I'll take a year off. Um, if I like the city I moved in cross country, I'll stay there and go to university there. Otherwise, I'll move back home. Uh, and I did neither of those things, go to law school or move back West. And it's because I loved what I was doing. And so I ended up working in financial services, in operations, in well, like 20, I was 20 years old and I have no problem. I'm 46, um, 47 this year. And, um, so 20 at 20, um, working in digital banking way before anyone was really ready for what that looked like. And so it was really exciting. And then at 24, I got recruited out of the banking environment where I'd been running these large scale operations to go and be the COO for a large outsourcing organization, which was a massive stretch role for me, but I had, banking experience, contact uh, center experience, operations, you name it. So they took a chance on me. And that is where the trajectory for the rest of my 20 plus years now as an executive has been in B2B, predominantly professional services, but in also a number of different slices of what that looks like over these years. Yeah, fantastic. <clears throat> So I have to ask, well, uh, the the nickname, the turnaround queen. Uh, so tell us a little bit about where that came from and and how you've kind of taken the lessons you learned from those turnarounds and applied them to clients you work with today. 
Well, I've been a part of 18 mergers, acquisitions, or related um, transactions. Some of those were a joint um, venture divestiture. One was a joint venture begin. And then I've also supported clients with their own M&A activities. And a big part of my role in those transactions has been the integration of those businesses. And number one, number two has been looking at how do we create synergies uh, to, which sadly means a lot of um, restructuring and cost takeout that comes in those um, transactions. But I've also been putting positions over the years to take distressed markets or business units and turn them around. So that's where the nickname has come from as a result of all of those activities and usually sitting at the heart of the integration and turnaround um, post acquisition or some kind of merger activities. What do you find are some of the biggest challenges post acquisition? Uh, we've had a number of guests on the show have talked about, you know, kind of uh, from the selling side of things, but uh, uh, you're one of the first to to really bring, you know, not necessarily the buying side, but that, that what do you do after you've bought it? So someone's out there, they're thinking about making an acquisition. Uh, what, what should they be? What questions should they be asking now? Well, I've been through enough, including even a company I personally acquired in 2017. And I would say like, there's never enough due diligence Mm. uh, that needs to be completed uh, on both buy and sell side. And from the sell side, maybe not from the owners, the shareholders who are going to benefit, but for the employees that are left behind. Uh, So, I mean, due diligence, due diligence, due diligence, but also then the change management and communication part of it is critical. You know, so I, one company I work for, we acquired six companies in less than two years and sitting and I was leading North American operations at the time. And so again, a lot, 80% of the employees that came over were part of ops. So I I had to sit and look through a lot of what that um, was going to look like going forward. And I mean, there was fear for those that we were bringing over, not just for the employees, but quite frankly, in many cases, we were buying the the goodwill, the contracts, the you know that they had. We weren't buying you know f- physical product uh, in the services space, and so I would emphasize how important it is to have cohesive change management. What I often see from companies is they think they can do it themselves. They have a project management office, a PMO, that does a lot of those activities for other kinds of works internally, but they've never been through this kind of scale Mm -hmm. of change management and understanding the the criticality of the communication to all parties involved would be really, really important. And then also from a leadership perspective, who's at the helm? I can't tell you how many times I've had to have conversations with leaders in this journey. Basically, you know, you're on the bus or you're not, Mm -hmm. right? We're we're in, we're in this, we're going to do it together. But that means, you know, there's a hierarchy for a reason where you can come together and attempt to gain consensus. But at some point, we're being asked to do something and move forward. Right. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen, either you've made or you've seen others make, and not even to name names or anything, but what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see happening post-acquisition? Lack of transparency, you know, in what's coming. As I said, there's, I think there's not think, I know there's great fear from all parties, Mm -hmm. particularly employees. And again, you're buying the goodwill, the institutional knowledge, the relationship they have with your customers. And so not getting that right in terms of not being transparent. It doesn't mean that 
you, you as a leader, you, you you can't in many times inform everyone of what's going on, but to the best of your ability, being incredibly transparent around the journey that we're on and how we're going to do it together, how they're going to be involved in the process. Yeah. And so I've seen that lack of transparency is one of the biggest mistakes. I touched on the other, which is not having um, additional support, not just a plus one from someone's day job to manage the project, the integration and the um, change in communications piece would yeah. be the other. I think that transparency piece is so big because I, I and I think it's oftentimes even overlooked because it feels more transparent as it is. Uh, I think one of the things in any type of change management, not just post acquisition, but any type of change management, the leaders have been working through that change for quite some time. And by the time it actually comes to fruition, they're kind of on to the next thing or it, it makes sense to them, but they've had the time to both emotionally and mentally process through what's going on. And I think we we forget that the folks we're, we're, we're now communicating it to is the first time they've heard it. And and so there's this assumption that, oh, I said it, you you got it, right? And and that's if we even say it. Um, and so what have you found are some of the 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 kind of I don't know if techniques is the right word, but the strategies to get out in front of the communication uh and and maintaining transparency through the whole process? Well, it's not only that there needs to be a really solid communication plan with as much transparency and openness around what the plan is that comes from the top it comes from a the change team the, the executive leadership team but that it needs to go all the way down as you just said scott i mean there's leaders who will feel like well I, I got it. Like I, they've been involved in the due diligence. They've been involved for a long time, but recognizing that um, the fear and need um, to hold the hands of their employees through the change. So what makes a critical difference is making sure that the the one on one relationship with the employees includes that kind of level of authentic, mm -hmm. transparent communication, and yeah. from a from a place of care and compassion. Yeah. Quite frankly, so this really yeah. human centered leadership place. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. So uh, we've, we've you've been through all of these these turnarounds and acquisitions. You've done uh, time in corporate. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about what you would say is some of the most important work you're doing for your clients today. Oh, it's um, a multitude of things. So at Accenture, I had been recruited for our CEO and board transformation um, team, which is the agenda of CEOs and the board members. And usually that's actually could be M&A, could be digital transformation, but really it's this intersection with leadership and culture, then their personal mm -hmm. engagement. And I also lead our um, a majority of our travel industry um, portfolio. So you can imagine how over these last couple of years, travel and hospitality has been impacted. So the blend of the kind of those two areas in which I support at Accenture means I'm spending time with recovery post pandemic specifically for this industry that was hit so so hard and that's not only how do they return to growth but in many cases they had you know a burning burning platform whether it's aged infrastructure before so now how do they get capital for that how do they attract talent back mm. in how do they reduce cost i mean so again it's this multi-pronged faceted challenge right. that they sit with but one of the bigger ones is has a lot to do again with people and the talent transformation that's required. Leadership needs to operate in a very different way than they used to. Uh, so how can they, you know, strive for high performance while being he very human centered, creating this mm -hmm. flexibility in the workforce, trying to identify the purpose, um, not only for a at a corporate level, but down to the individual as well. Right. So I spent a lot of time having those conversations with senior right. leaders. 
Right. And how have you found uh, that culture and how culture and purpose are communicated has changed post-COVID? Because, I mean, there's just been massive transformation in the way that we do work. How have you found that um, uh, has changed and what do we do about it? Well, I think, um, I mean, the expectation for consumers, who do we buy from? Where do we choose to spend our money? Is it aligned with our purpose, our values? But employees want the same. They want to work for organizations Mm -hmm. where there's an alignment to that. And I think a lot of companies had, you know, purpose, vision, mission statements on the walls somewhere um, or up on their intranet. Um, But bringing that down to the individual level and articulating what that means, you know, Simon Sinek, start with why. But, you know, how do you build that kind of connectedness? And employees want that. Now we've made decisions over the last number of years to prioritize things differently Mm. than hustle, hustle hard all the time, family and health and balance and all of these things. And so what I'm seeing are companies are needing to find a way to curate um, a purpose across their organization that aligns um, with what I'll call their superpower as well. So, I mean, you can't be Mm. good at all all things. Uh, And so figure out what that is. But then how do you bring that down across the entire organization? Employees and customers are not going to believe it if it's not baked throughout the entire part of the organization. Yes. So you can have yeah. this great purpose and impact statement, but it needs to be built into not just diversity in your workforce, but you know, in accessibility to products and service to customers, to your suppliers, the way in which we communicate, the way in which we choose to invest our dollars or charitable giving, all of those sorts of things. So that's changed dramatically. And we need to have more people at the table to be engaged in that conversation for it to be mm. truly effective. Yeah. And how how do you do that without slowing things down, right? The bigger the table, the the longer the meal. And uh and so how is it that you are like how with you the teams that you're working with, right? We've got a bigger and bigger table. How is it that we get everyone and keep everyone moving in the same direction and at the same speed or do we? Uh, I, we do, but what I found is, and in lots, and I've spent a majority of my career in large global organizations that are highly matrixed and many of the clients that I work with are, are very much the same. And so this federated model, um, creates a challenge, um, Mm -hmm. to get people as, um, you know, slows things down. And so what I see being really effective is looking at the organizational design doesn't mean that we need to eliminate the matrix structure, but governance in terms of a central team coming together who can help right. build the bridge across those disparate functional areas that helps one, keep people aligned, but then on track to move things forward. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's good. The, it, it seems to make a ton of sense. You sit down, you do an org chart, the matrix structure just seems like the obvious solution on paper, but uh, more often than not, when you, it gets down to it, you you're leaving, uh, if you're not careful, you're leaving it to the people inside the structure to try and create the clarity that you didn't take the time to build yourself. 100%. And, yeah. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah. Now, uh, what would you say, uh, how much are you seeing remote working kind of uh, impacting that aspect as well, right? So you've got you got a bigger table, they're probably they're more remote and and you're dealing with the complexities of matrix structures. How is how's the remote workforce playing into that? Uh, that's the first question. then you can kind of tie in. How do you translate and communicate culture in a remote environment? It, it, it's one of, I think the greatest 
complexities or challenges facing companies going forward because employees want flexibility now in terms of where they're working. Uh, and so what you've seen is in some cases, some industries, financial services was kind of the first to go, no, everyone's coming back into the office and employees reeled from that and started to quit. So they're backing off of that. So um, employees want it, uh, uh, but employers have a large real estate footprint. So, you know, balancing all of that with the needs of the proverbial water cooler talk, right? right. It's, I wrote an, an article a few weeks ago and I said, that's why I love working from home. I like that I you know, don't have a commute except you know, from one room to the next to sit and get on my next Zoom call. Uh, but um, I'm missing the engagement you know, with, mm. with colleagues. Right. And so I think companies are ne- going to need to find a way to have a hybrid model that works for its employees, its leadership team um, that, can try to build the right kind of culture and environment that keep people really highly engaged and stay there long-term. Right. And to your second question though, for me, culture is actually an outcome, right? We can, mm-hmm. again, put a nice statement on the wall of what we want in our, our um, culture to, to be, but that's a reflection of purpose and impact, policies, procedures, the leadership, and um, the way they act, the way they speak, You know the, that human-centered approach. Um, but also a lot of that um, is demonstrated through the connectedness one-on-one. So this for me is, like I said, it's exceptionally challenging. And this is why more and more companies are spending time in, in investing in their leadership and the mm. overall development of their teams um, because we're operating in a very different way. And what we might've overheard standing in the coffee room is very different than you know the two minutes of chatter that happens while everyone's gathering on a video conference. Yeah, there there's the analogy of kind of, you know, elevation or, or altitude, it would be the better one leading at, you know, leading at the ground level, leading at 5000, leading at 30,000 feet. And you hear a lot of talk about leading at the ground level. You hear a lot of talk about leading at 30,000 feet. But what I've found, particularly post COVID and, and while we were dealing with the constant changes in, in COVID is that there's a much greater demand on our ability to lead at 5000 feet. Right. Where the air's a little rougher, you know, we don't quite have the elevation to see far, but you know, we're not touching the ground either. And 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 I think you're you're kind of pulling out the same thing of we've got to be able to invest in leadership throughout the organization. It can't just be at the top, it can't just be at the bottom. You've got to knit those two together. Would you agree? I one hundred percent, Scott, I do. And but the other thing as well is that we need to look at our performance and compensation models Mm. associated with that. So yes, you can give coaching on how to be a good leader, but if you're not incenting Mm. all across the organization, you can potentially drive the alternate behavior, which then has a negative impact on culture, play engagement, productivity, retention, et cetera. So true. So true. All right. Here's the moment I've been waiting for. It's my favorite part of the show. And that's where uh, I ask this question. And, and, and that is, what is the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret at all? What, what, what was that one thing that you wish everybody listening today knew? That's that's hard for me because for me, they're really, they're closely intertwined, two of them. And one is around the importance of our individual personal brand in that people do business with people they like and they trust and therefore they want to do business with. So being the you know CEO of brand you, if you will, regardless of what level you're at in the organization and starting it early, I tell my kids that. 
but the, the related part of that is the that connectedness that uh, around who people want to do business and engage with. And so recognizing, and this is one thing I don't think they teach in graduate school, is the dynamics of relationships. And we talked about matrix organizations and how to navigate that as effectively as possible. Though That's something I wish that my 20-year-old self um, would have learned rather than some of the scars that I've got over the years <laughs> from sometimes doing it the wrong way. Awesome. And uh, was there a second one in there? Well, no. Well, your brand and then the relationship. The got relationship. It, got it. Got it. Got it. I got, yeah. I got it. I'm with you now. Perfect. Um, uh, yes. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing because I think the last thing that most people working up the corporate ladder are thinking about is their personal brand, right? But when you look at how much time they're actually dedicating to it, it, it's actually a lot. They just don't realize that's what they're doing and they're not being intentional about it. Uh, and yeah, so uh, it's it's a great point. Um, now I've worked with enough you know, coaches, consultants, advisors to know that we've got a knack for spending our best time and energy on helping everyone around us. But sometimes that can come at the cost of us working on ourselves or on our own business and, and uh, objectives. And so what is it that you're doing for this next stage of growth for you as a leader uh, and, and in your career? And what challenges do you think you'll have to overcome to get there? I, as I said at the beginning of my intro, I've majority of my career has been in B2B professional services. Uh, I'd like to go and be on the other side of the table permanently you know, going back to being the C-suite executive that gets to hire consultants like me uh, to see, you know, that through to fruition. You know, sometimes it's frustrating to work on an engagement and go, here's this pretty strategy engagement you've asked us to deliver. And then you leave it in their hands and then like, okay, and then I can find out maybe a year later, they might not have followed it through. So for me, um, it'll be to make that jump back to being one of my clients. And the biggest challenge is we're, you know, in in a recession, although people were argue whether we really are or aren't, but still there's a lot of um, insecurity and caution around what does that look like? And so, you know, getting hiring leaders at that C-suite and board levels to be comfortable with some of the change that will come for me to leap back um, into that space will be the yeah. challenge I'll need to overcome. And going back to brand, how do I tell that story and articulating it to them? Um, because many of them will sort of be myopically focused on where I've spent my time these last right. couple decades. Right. Right. Uh, I uh, One of the best pieces of advice I got, and it was actually from a pastor talking about counseling, but it applies so much to coaches uh, and consultants is that you can never be more desperate than your client. Like you can never, you can never want their, you know, fulfillment, ambitions, goals, whatever it may be more than they do. And that leaves us in an uncomfortable, especially as doers, you know, it, it's this uncomfortable moment of you do have to hand it over. And, uh, and so I, I understand that pain uh, deeply. Um, um, and, and it's it's a it's actually where a lot of especially new coaches and consultants get tripped up because they're used to being the one going out and getting it done. They used to be able to you know if this is it like they had some form of leadership, they had some hierarchy underneath them. It can go with it, but then you you, you come out in, into the world of coaching and consulting. It's like oh you know I don't actually get to drive it through. I don't get to I get to tell people what to do, but they don't really listen. <laughs> At least not as much as I would like. Uh, so, yeah, it's great advice, especially for folks that are, are new to the industry. 
Um, all right. Last question that I have for you then is, you know, folks are thinking about, uh, you know, I mean, we've just covered this whole range of topics, but if they want to find more out about what you do uh, and and connect with you, what's the best way for that to happen? I have a personal website, which is victoria-peltier.com, where my articles, all the public speaking I do, everything can be housed there. Of course, you could just Google me. I've worked hard on my brand and I'm the majority of the first 10 pages probably that comes up. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll add uh, we'll add the URL to the show notes uh, for everyone who uh, is listening, wherever you're at, you'll be able to find them there. It'll also be on the website. And Victoria, well, thank you so much for being here. It was such a privilege having you on the show. And for everyone listening, your time and attention mean the world to us. I hope you got as much out of this uh, conversation as I did. And I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm